What's up, movie fans and Netflix bingers? This is the Bros Who Binge podcast, the 89th installment. My name is Adam Schubert, and as always, I'm joined by Lennon Burton. Lyndon, how are you doing? I'm doing well, man. You know, can't complain. Wearing my UL hat. Shout out to all the UL graduates out there who graduated this week, 100. Um, but yeah, no, doing well. Watching movies and TV. Low-key been watching some trash TV, loving hip-hop. The last dance finished today. Pretty sad, but ESPN's premiering some new docs. I think they start next Sunday, or they might skip a week, but they're starting with Lance Armstrong. I'm excited for that. It's a two-part series. Then we're getting uh, Be Like Water, the uh, Bruce Lee one. And then after that, we're getting your Sammy Sosa versus Mark McGuire, The Long Summer. So I hope that feel fills my sports need in the in the meantime. But other than that, just watching anime, just just chilling. That's cool, man. Yeah, staying inside, you know, just watching all the beach, stuff. Like some not other at the people. beach. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been watching as much as I would like to, but uh, I haven't gotten a chance to catch some of the movies. I know I want to see Capone. Yeah, I wanted to see. Okay. What movie did I watch? Oh, I watched Mortal Kombat. <laughs> oh, the cheesy old one? Yeah, well, I watched the cheesy old one and the new animated one. And I was like, when I went to go rent movies that day, Capone wasn't out. And I'm guessing it's, it's on my PlayStation now. But yeah, next week, we should definitely review Capone. But man, the, the old Mortal Kombat is so cheesy. And I was expecting to see John claude Van Damme, but that's Street Fighter. So then when he didn't show up, I was like, oh, man, this sucks. Like, Sonya Blade and Jack's character, tragic. Kano, tragic. Fucking Johnny Cage, tragic. The only one I liked was Liu Kang. And even fucking uh, Sung Shang sucked. He was just like, <laughs> like all that shit was cheesy as hell. Raiden was this old white dude that these Asian people were bowing down to. A little racy, but <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that, them's the times. <laughs> shit, but I mean, look, it made me appreciate the fact that we're getting a new Mortal Kombat with, um, oh man, somebody important in it. Like, uh, I want to say like, uh, fuck. I'm, I'm I'm forgetting who it is, but also the new uh, animated film. That's something I think people should check out because it, it was really, it was really dope. Like I can't even front. It was where's really the, cool. that? Where's that on? Is that on Netflix or something? No, you have to rent that, bro. Mm. Okay, yeah. So they have uh, Hiroki Sanada as a uh, scorpion. He's from The Last Samurai. Joe Talzim as Sub Zero. Uh, Ludi Lu is Liu Kang. He's from uh, Power Rangers. And uh, I think he was in Aquaman. I believe my guys. I thought my guy was in this. I guess not. Damn. I thought my my uh the guy wanted to be Spike Spiegel's. I thought he was gonna be in this, but he's not. Mm. Oh well, uh, he might be in Snake Eyes. But I digress. Mortal Kombat. I'm ready for the new live action. Well, we still got some time for that, and um, I'm just ready for movies to come back. And one of the stories today, we'll talk about the first movie that is set to come back now that we're opening movie theaters up again. That is true. And low-key, Warner Brothers said that Tenant, if Tenant gets delayed, then Wonder Woman's going to come out in December. So if, yeah, so that's just, that's just that. So yeah, if Tenant gets delayed, Wonder Woman's coming out in December. That's not... Oh, Louis Tan. I thought Louis Tan was going to be in Mortal Kombat. I hope he is. I fucking love that guy. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. These delays, man. Hopefully, with Phase 1 back, hopefully we can go to movies come July. We shall see. That's the only thing I'm really... Like, I know people... We, we made a joke about people going to the beach, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. If movies are back, I will probably go to the movie theater. I'll wear my I'm, mask. I'm, and wear I might go at obscure times. Oh, yeah. Like, it like... 10 o'clock or like early, early in the morning. Or like early, early, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, like noon. <laughs> exactly. So I'm not going at five. Ooh, God, no. Six, eight, seven. Because you know parents going to let their kids out. They t- Four. Sick of, they're sick of those kids being in the house. Three, two. Mm, yeah. Anything from 12 to one or to 10 to 11. Those are the two. Those are the times. Yeah, those are 100% of the times. But, Shuby, we got a lot of news. Today we're talking the last uh, two episodes of Last Dance. We said because we don't have anything we're reviewing constantly and because Avatar The Last Airbender is back, 
we wanted to do like some rerun, uh, rewatch, you know, of Avatar The Last Airbender. So each week we'll be reviewing four episodes. We got that and we got the actors who we think should win their first Oscar in this next decade. The the thing about revisiting Avatar is that it's always kind of um, different when you watch a kid show when you're older and you kind of catch things differently and you start to see the development even earlier on. So I think that's kind of the fun part about going yeah, back seeing, and looking at those. Seeing all the um, the things they foreshadow and whatnot that you don't even get to catch as a kid. Yeah, no. 100%. But whenever you're ready, man, I'm ready. All right. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's get started. Uh, Timothy Oliphant and Katie Sackhoff are going to join the Mandalorian cast. Pretty exciting. All right, really? Pretty exciting, yeah. So Katie, Katie Sackhoff's going to play Bo-Katan. Yeah, Which okay. I feel like is kind of weird because I feel like she'd be way older. You think? I mean, we're talking about a character that was in Clone Wars. Oh, yeah, Obi-Wan was kind of an old man. But maybe Mandalorians age differently. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's be... the only explanation. Yeah. You know, who's Timothy Oliphant playing? Uh, I mean, anybody. Like, they, Rando. like, people are trying to think that he could play this person or this person. Like, I've seen, like, everyone wants Cad Bane to be in anything. Yeah. I was um, going to ask you, Cad Bane. And, I was also going to ask you that homie uh, from Rebels. Yeah, Th- Thrawn. No, not Thrawn. The Mandalorian homie, who was like the guy Sabine challenged. Oh, well, yeah, that's possible, too. I could see him being like a Mandalorian, but I could also see him being like a, sm- a smuggler kind of guy. Not even like a smuggler, but just kind of like, um, a, I mean, I guess like a, a renegade cowboy kind of guy. Just like an outlaw. For justified, justified, yeah. Yeah, an outlaw in space. I ain't mad at it. But y'all got a lot of Star Wars news happening right now. Yeah, apparently the other news is that Daniel RPK claims that there's going to be an Ahsoka Tano show in some kind of development. And I think that that was all kind of writing on the wall. Shout out to Daniel RPK, man. He also said they're they're working on a Boba Fett show. So, like, yeah. That's interesting because, like, that could really be telling to this whole, like, uh, Tamar Morrison coming back in The Mandalorian. What's that all about? But my question is... We have the Mandalorian. If you're going to tell Boba Fett, are you going to tell, like, what he's doing alongside the Mandalorian? Or you can show what he's been doing ever since he was out the Sarlacc pit. Well, since since Boba Fett pretty much wears a mask the whole time, you could maybe do any sort of time period. But, I mean, I just think that that's kind of a bad period of time. Or just a bad character to try and do a show for right now. That's what I'm I mean, thinking. Ahsoka works fine. I think that's going to work out. It's going to be the older Rosario Dawson. So I think more so that this means that the Ahsoka role in The Mandalorian is very minimal. Which Probably I think so. a lot of people are going to be happy about because they were worried that she was going to take over The Mandalorian. This is probably like her intro. Yeah. yeah. I, say, I think there's going to be like maybe a two to three episode arc or like maybe it'll be something similar to the first season where she shows up in like episode three and then shows back up in, in episode finale. eight. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, th- I think it's foolish to think that if this little baby Yoda thing is alive, that Luke or Ahsoka wouldn't track it down at some point. And my thing is, okay, so what if we get rid of the baby in this season? You, I don't think that's gonna happen. No. What if we transfer the baby to another show? Well, that's interesting. To the Ahsoka show, and then you let the Mandalorian go back to being a bounty hunter Western. I don't know. I guess that all depends on like the story that they're trying to tell in the future. But sure. I guess that's definitely a possibility. I'm just I'm just brainstorming of like possibilities. Or what if the Mandalorian ends with the baby going to Ahsoka, and then the Ahsoka show starts, and then boom, Boba Fett starts to replace this need of. A bounty hunter western outlaw. I guess it all again depends on the story, like how they want to do the Mandalorian. I know they're going to do a third season. So, like, is it going to be a show that they're trying to do five seasons for, or is this a show that they're trying to wrap up in three? You know, I think that's something you're seeing more as a growing trend where a lot of these guys, instead of like writing writing series to be continual. Uh, more so just trying to tell a story. So maybe that's what Filoni and Favreau are trying to do with this. I don't know. 
Yeah, man, we'll see how it goes. But this is interesting. I, I, I'm liking all this Star Wars television announcements. I'm down for it. Yeah, it's all really exciting stuff. And I think that's definitely been the cash cow for Disney+. Plus. Fact. The only thing that's, that's yeah. making money. Uh, George Miller is planning to expand the Mad Max universe with a prequel movie based on Charlize Theron's uh, Imperator Furiosa. However you say the name. Yeah, just a Furiosa, bro. Furiosa for the, from uh, Fury Road. And in a recent interview, the director said the film is an origin story. So he's searching for an actress in her 20s instead of reprising Charlize Theron. He went on to say in that interview that we've seen with Irishmen that things can be done with de-aging, but he doesn't think that it's shown that we're there yet. Okay, and and that makes sense because of the rumors we were hearing of him uh, talk looking at Anya Taylor Joy and people of that age. So I'm uh, glad yeah, he's come I mean, out I've, and confirmed it. Yeah, I've seen other names than that. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's they're There's already starting to throw different different names out there. But I think it's a really exciting thing. I definitely would love to see more in the Mad Max universe. Yeah, look, man, I'm I'll peep game. I'll see what's up. This is this is your favorite, one of your favorite universes. So I know you're excited to see this. But next up, we got MGM has planned Phil Lord and Chris Miller on board to direct and produce the film that I'm not excited for the, <laughs> from author Andy Weir, his next novel, which Ryan Gosling's lined up to star. He's about to be, guess what? Another astronaut in space by himself. It's Project Hail Mary. It's described as a solitary tale of an astronaut on a spaceship who's tasked with saving the planet. Sound like Ad Astra much? I don't know. Schubert, we talked about this a couple months ago. Now Phil Lloyd and Chris Miller are going to direct it. They couldn't do Star Wars, but we're going to do realistic space adventures here. Bro, I'm, I'm not excited for this. I'm just not. It sounds like it's going to be Ryan Gosling's sand up in space. <laughs> you think they're gonna tell jokes? <laughs> well, I mean, that's all I really know Lord Miller for. Like, I don't know them for being like serious, like, serious with comedy. Like, the only things I've ever known them for are How I Met Your Mother and Into the Spider Verse, and then messing up solo. Yeah, and like, if he's by himself, like, what are we about to do? Is he like, is he about to tell? Yo, I swear if that movie's just him telling jokes. <laughs> Oh, I guess I got to press this button to save the world. Whoops, wrong button. <laughs> Yo, I'm so not excited for this movie. Ryan, you should be doing other things and better things, brother. That's all I got to say. But next you know, up. It's oh. weird because he, ju- well, he just did First Man. So it's just like, why are you going to repeat and do another He's space been in a thing? Because th- he did Blade Runner 2049 before that, but that was fire. But, and then the question is, is like, when is this movie even going to come out if the, the book isn't even going to be published until the spring of 2021? That's true. <laughs> like why? I, I didn't even see that. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> is this going like, to come out like craziness. 2022? Why are we knowing? Yeah, I know. It, but MGM's trying to make it pop. So we shall see. I think this next story is probably the funniest story. So if you have listened to this pod for any amount of time, our thing is that Tom Cruise needs to stop doing his own stunts. Tom Cruise is getting older. We want to keep him around. Do some more dramatic roles. Go the Brad Pitt route. Stop doing your own stunts. Stop doing action movies. Well, NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstein announced earlier this month that three-time Academy Award nominee Tom Cruise has received exclusive permission to develop a new action adventure film with NASA and SpaceX. This would be set aboard the International Space Station and would become the first narrative film shot entirely in outer space. Neither writer nor director are attached right now, but people are speculating that it's going to be Tom's collaborator and friend, Chris McQuarrie. McQuarrie said that, uh, look, man, I can't talk about this movie. Uh, There's absolutely nothing I can tell you about this movie before uh, just being like it's in development. So it may be Chris McQuarrie, it may not be. But Schubert, what, top, if something goes wrong, this is just terrible. Those people are crazy. <laughs> Those people are crazy, man. Like it's like this whole thing with like getting announced the the logo for the space force. I'm like, who who the heck is talking about space right now? And like, why are we gonna just send actors up to space and just have them shoot movies up there? Like, you know, <laughs> Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, like, who's who's he gonna like con into going up there and with doing him. this movie? Like. 
That's my thing. Like Christopher McQuarrie is probably more insane than Tom Cruise at this point. Chris McCoy is trying to deny it and be like, nah, bro. Because I don't think he wants to go to space. Like, who's trying to go to space and be on a space station with Tom Cruise? And then you got to hope you get back. Like, you're- And you're trying to shoot an entire movie, you know, which could mean that you have to do, like, multiple takes of certain scenes because you're, you know, floating. I don't know, man. This is just bro, weird. that's crazy. If Tom Cruise executes it, though, and nothing bad happens, because th- to me, this sounds like just... A disaster waiting to happen. But if, I, if they pull, if they pull that off, that's Oscar like, winning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be good. Like, it just has to be complete. <laughs> just the feat of like doing that is like, oh, that's nuts. Like, and like you said, is he gonna be floating the whole time? Like, are they gonna get out of the space station and go film like in space? Well, like, I mean, like, what's the narrative? Like, it's just <laughs> Tom's Tom Cruise in space. <laughs> They should just make it like one of those ABC specials. You remember when the dude used to walk across the tightrope and it'd be like, oh, breaking, breaking. KL, uh, ABC, uh, CBS, the man is walking across the tightrope. Let's see if he can do it. I don't know. <laughs> A new man. world record. They should just do that and have Tom in space. But I, I don't understand like where the, the space theme came for this episode. But our next story also is a movie that has to do with space. Josh Gad has been cast in Roland Emmerich's science fiction project Moonfall, which has been set up by Lionsgate. Moonfall centers on a mysterious force knocking the moon from its orbit around Earth and sending it hurling on a collision course with life as we know it. In response, a ragtag team launches an impossible last-ditch mission into space to land on the lunar surface and save Earth from annihilation. Josh Gad will portray a scientific genius who has correctly concluded the moon has fallen out of its orbit. This is our disaster movie in, in the I was new about era. To say, this sounds like it's either going to be really good or it's going to be like 2012. I hope it's not like 2012 because I really want more of like those Armageddon, Day After Decor. Tomorrow. I mean, you know, Emmerich did do Day After Tomorrow. So, I mean, okay. it, it, could, it could be pretty good. You know, Josh Gad being cast in a role that portrays him as a scientific genius doesn't really get me excited. No. But like but he's gonna I, put I, comedy in it? I don't know. Well I mean I assume it's this is gonna be a little bit comedic on account that the moon is falling towards the earth. But but I don't know man they could go the like the serious route like ah the moon Well I mean even Armageddon was comedic in a in a way. True. True 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 true. That's what I'm saying. We shall see man but like this is either gonna be pretty really good or it's gonna be Pretty shitty. It's it's either one or the other. No in between. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm a big disaster movie fan of those early night or late nineties, early two thousands. So I really hope that it works out. No, I'm with you. Because uh, I'd be interested. But um, so if everything goes according to plan, Unhinged is going is going to be the first wide release film to debut in the U.S. post Corona. It'll come in on July first before Tenet, which is supposed to come in July 17th. And Unhinged, starring Russell Crowe, centers around a woman who becomes entangled in a terrifying act of road rage when she beeps her horn at the wrong driver. We've talked about this before. Oh. And um, they filmed it, like, right on my street. Oh, real? So Russell Crowe's, like, this road rage guy, and he's probably going to be, like, a serial killer type. Pretty much. Okay, I'll check this out. Yeah, July. Hopefully this happens so Tenet can come out next week. The week after this, because I'm I'm more interested in Tenet than Unhinged, but you know, good for Russell Crowe. Someone's got to be the first domino. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I've been really enjoying Quibi. You know, we and the apps were now that the last dance is over. I've been watching on Quibi the uh, documentary about the Clippers and Donald Sterling, and I, the episode I just watched pretty much goes through the whole entire history of the Clippers, which of course can happen in a six minute Quibi. Okay, real. Yeah, if, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of cool because you get the perspective on one of the most historic and best seasons in Clippers history all coming unraveled due to the owner that always tried to ruin them. Yeah, always messed them up and did something wrong out there. And, and you know, all, all the names that you want are in it. Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, they're all contributing and i think it's pretty cool but quibi now is teamed up with lebron james uninterrupted sports media company 
to do a new docu-series about the cheating scandal that's gone down in, uh, with the Houston Astros. Mm. It's supposed to be called Sign Language, and it's going to take a look at um, an inside look at the sign stealing scandal that the Astros almost got away with. And um, it's going to be a look, a transcendent look into the baseball diamond and explore larger themes of greed, cheating, corruption, sportsmanship, and social media activism. Okay, cool. Whatever, man. I'll watch it. Cause like that Houston national stuff was crazy. I think, you know, just like we were talking about earlier on in the, in this episode about the 30 for 30s coming out post last dance that people are kind of into this whole idea since we're not do you know, we don't have any sports going on catching up on some of these documentaries and might as well remembering tell some stories. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the goods and the bad times. Yeah. You know, low, low key. I think South Park's going to bring back the member berries this, this season. Cause it, it makes sense. We've been super nostalgic in quarantine. That's like a really good point because who better would they, and they could easily be, making their stuff right now because all they need is like some construction paper in their house (laughs) yeah so i mean they they could do it i feel like if they did a quarantine deal where like they had to be the south park had to be in quarantine like that junk would be hilarious carmen would leave his house carmen's the guy on snapchat like and randy (laughs) randy would be like the government's trying to hold us down we shall not we shall leave our house. And he's raised like, I'm not wearing no damn mask. <laughs> while Cartman, while uh, freaking, oh my gosh, what's his, Kyle's family's like, you need to wear the mask. You need, like, they're all serious about it. I, nah. Yeah, I, I, I bet Cartman would, would have a different attitude. He'd be like, you mean that I don't have to go to skew <laughs> and I can stay at home? This is the best thing ever. He might. Like, I, he, like, I feel like Kyle or something would be like, Try and I think we have the cure for the corona and carbon would be like, guys, no. No, yeah. That that that's that's something I could definitely see happening. Oh, man, oh I love I, that oh, show. I want that to come so bad. But all right, next up we got Disney's in development of two things that I'm really excited for. A Percy Jackson live action series is currently in development for Disney Plus, and a movie is officially in development. They're remaking an animated film that didn't get a lot of love, but that is that has a cult following, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. How do you cast that for Disney Plus? Like, that's where I'm the most interested. Oh, no, in that's going to be like, a movie. Oh, is this going to be a movie on Disney? We don't know if it's Disney Plus or if it's theaters, but I'm assuming that's going to be theaters. If they it's theaters, then they'll get good people. But if it's done Disney Plus, I'd be worried that they just wouldn't cast it right or like put any real effort into it. I hope it's theaters. Percy Jackson, they have the author of the series working on the script. So I'm excited for that. I think that has a chance to be something special and, if they don't Disney-fy it. And you don't need any... Well, I mean, they're going to Disney-fy it they're just, because they're not going to be able to use the star power. It's going to be like similar kind of casting that they would do for that, the High School Musical series. Like, they're going to get oh, people no. that nobody really knows. Sure, well, I mean, no. I don't... They I'm need just, to I'm take it more about, serious than that. No, no I'm, I'm not talking about it's going to be, like, the same sort of tone, but I'm saying, like, just these people that you've probably never really seen before. Okay, I'm down to get some end up being, shot. But, like, you know, that come from maybe the Disney space that are going to be put in there. I don't know, especially, if, you know, Rick Riordan is a part of it. Like, they'll probably have better source material for these actors because i mean like at the end of the day i mean we've seen it with some of the people who you know have become big stars today disney actors aren't bad no that's true disney writing is bad yeah that's that is we don't want disney channel writing we could take disney movie writing but not disney channel and we need to see disney plus this is going to be a a really interesting series to see how they handle i kind of wish it was at netflix hulu or hbo but we shall see how disney handles it Hopefully, it could be fire. This next topic, I'm so upset with. So, courtesy of Daniel RPK, the Naruto film is in legit development with Lionsgate uh, and Aride Productions. Um, The writer is Jonathan Levine. Uh, Kishimoto was a previous writer. I think he did, like, one of the takes of the script, and now Jonathan Levine's going at it as well. Director Michael... Is it going to be an American movie? Yeah. Michael Gracie is uh, the director. The log line is Naruto Uzumaki is a teenage ninja who dreams of becoming the community's leader and protector by becoming the village ninja. 
I what? think I think that already makes me upset for becoming the community's leader. It's not a community. It's a whole nation. He's trying to be the fucking Hokage. Like, what are we, like, are they going to say this is like a city? Like, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It's a whole nation. It's the Leaf Nation. But, and that has really nothing to do with the story. Yeah, I know. It just, it just sounds I mean, like, I mean, they, like, they have it, it off already. And well, then, it sounds like they're just making their own sort of take on the character and the, the, not not even doing the real story. Like, cause yeah, what, what does it mean by becoming the village ninja? What is that? And like, you know, there's no mention <laughs> of the nine tails or like, you know, that he has, that he is any sort of like, you know, demon. So look, they want the leads. They want two males, one female, obviously not Sasuke and uh, Sakura. The ages range from 14 to 18. Bro, they can't, what are we we doing? If you get an 18 year old, are we doing shipping? Like, what is this? So then it's an Asian high school aged Asian teen guys at Ninja Academy. They want two instructors supporting unknown Asian Academy instructors. And then there's a villain supporting unknown Asian actor. So why are there two instructors? You need more than two instructors. (laughs) I don't want to watch this. (laughs) I don't want to watch that either. That makes me so upset. Like, who are you going to get? Just Aruka in fucking Kakashi? Where's the third Hokage? Like, what are we, what, what are we, that's why I say this shit never works. What are we doing? This is why I say this shit never works because Americans don't have a love for the source material and they're just trying to make money off of an IP that's popular with American teens, young adults, and fucking children, even older adults. This is just bullshit. And I knew when I found out Sony had this shit, it was going down the drain. Venom, trash. Sony just puts out trash fucking movies. Sony's not that great of a studio. Live action. Hold on, Bloodshot. Like, hold on. Sony has put out some fucking stinkers. Let me. I'm, I'm about, hold Besides on. the Oscar-winning film Into the Spider-Verse. Look, Venom, Bloodshot, Black and Blue, Star, Searching, Superfly, Overcome, Surf Waves Up 2, uh, Traitor. Hold on, I'm about to give you some more Sony fucking movies. Like, oh my goodness. Let me give you some from 2019 because they're fucking horrible. 2018 because 2019 they already read those. Uh, X Men, Holmes and Watson. No, they didn't do X Men. Uh, Equalizer Two, Alpha. The only good one that I see is Sicario Two, Day of Soldado, and that's not even better than the first one. Um, they just put out ass movies. They just do. It is just horrible. If I, if you ask me which studio I want to make a movie, I'm going Lionsgate, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Disney, A24, A24, Bloomberg Studios. Get the fuck out of here, Sony. Y'all fucking suck. Universal's better than y'all. And Universal puts out some ass films too. But they're, they're, they're a smidgen better than you guys who put out the lowest grade quality of shit. Gosh, I hate oh, Sony yeah. Pictures. Oh, man. Next up, let's talk about a Warner Brothers production that I'm super excited about because Warner Brothers makes quality fucking movies. So they released a new picture for Dune, which I'm I'm so excited for. Denis Villeneuve's my guy. Uh, they basically released a new picture of uh, Timothy Chalamet's Paul Astrid, uh, Astridez. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but basically Denis Villeneuve said Paul has been raised in a strict environment with a lot of training because he's the son of a duke. And one day he's training to be the duke. But as much as he's prepared for training for that role, it's re- is it really what he dreams to be? That's the contradiction of that character. It's like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, someone that has a tragic fate. And he will become something that he was not wishing to become. That sounds freaking amazing. If he's trying to make his Godfather with a sci-fi epic, see what I mean when I say Warner Brothers makes good fucking movies? This is what I'm talking about. This sounds amazing. I hope we're in the theaters for December so I can watch this because Denis Villeneuve is, to me, the director of the 2010s. He's the, he, was the, he was the best director of the 2010s. He's got an Oscar, right? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I'm about to let me, let me look it up. I got, I got you real quick. You can, you can, I, got, I got you. I'm looking it up. Yeah, I don't think so. No. Yeah, no Oscars. Oh, wait, no. He, in- he, did, he did win for uh, Arrival 
in Blade Runner, but I don't know if he won Best Director. Yeah, if it's not Best Director, I don't count it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think it's a Best Director. I'm trying to hurry up and scroll. There's so many damn film awards he was nominated for. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, I don't think he won Best Director. All right. Well, yeah, well, he's definitely got a big opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think there's he, that, he has a I, shot. I think there's like five right now that are kind of pushing the needle, and we'll talk about him later. Yeah, we will. We will. Okay, so uh, the final topic we have today is Lin-Manuel Miranda's mega hit, Zeitgeist Tapsing, Precedent Breaking, Broadway Smash Hamilton will land on Disney Plus July 3rd. I will actually watch this. I'm excited for that. Yeah, I actually do want to watch it. I've never, I would never go out to w- watch the play, but oh. if you're telling me that I could go watch it on Disney Plus, I'll, I'll go do it. I'd watch the play, but I'm also going to watch this on Disney. Well, I don't want to spend all that money to do that. That's the thing. It's super that's expensive. That's what I'm saying, go, dude. Like, that's like that. the most expensive play. It was the hottest play like, on the I market. I like going to plays, but I mean, like, I don't like going to plays for like $200. Yeah, that great point right there, Shuby. But that's all the news we have this week, brother. Well, let's hop into Movie on the Rise. I've been watching on Hulu the new series with Nicholas Holt and um, Elle Fanning. And it's called The Great. It's about, it's like a comedic take on the history of Catherine the Great, who was like married to the emperor of Russia, who was like a complete shithead. And then she like led a mutiny and got him killed. And in Russian law, if the emperor is killed, then the empress becomes, you know, the ruler and no one could say anything about it. So like she was just like, well, I'm not, why would I bear this dude's children when I can just kill him? Yeah, and now she's the ruler. Word. Yeah, but I mean, it's about the kind of lead up of that. So it's just them going back and forth, and it's pretty. It's. I only watched the first episode, but I had a good time with it. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's real. I might have to check it out. Something that I, that that I saw is out on Amazon now. That I thought the trailer was pretty dope, and I'm actually gonna watch it after we close up here. Upload. It's with a. Uh, not Stephen Emil, but Ronnie Emil. Ronnie Emil stars in it. Greg Daniels, the creator of uh, The Office in Parks and Rec, or the writer of The Office in Parks and Rec, uh, he made this show. So it looks really dope. Basically, in the future, when you, you can either die or you can upload your consciousness to this afterlife program where you can live in a computer, computerized program and you're just chilling in this program. And it's about like your life in there and how that shit works. So. I'm 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 excited to check that out as soon it's pretty as we get out. It looks pretty interesting, yeah. It looks pretty funny, so I'm excited for that. But all right, Shuby. Right. Are we doing last well, dance let's, first? Or we no, let's Avatar talk about first? the 15 actors. Oh, thing. we're doing our actors. Okay, cool. So yeah. all right, we got we have a thing where we're gonna talk the actors who will win their first Oscar and, in the next decade. And directors. Yeah, and directors. Okay. So uh let's you, you want you can start us off. Uh, well, I'm starting off with the directors and, um, this guy recently won for screenplay, but not for director. I think Taika Waititi is going to be due one this, Mm. this cycle. Okay. Okay. uh, Only, only unless he gets caught up in all the, the, uh, big budget stuff. Cause I mean, he's already tapped into do Star Wars. He's got to do a Thor. So, I mean, that's going to take up some time. But I mean, like, I, I feel like Jojo Rabbit was a, a good shot at it. And I feel like he could do something that's way more artistic if he has the time to do it. I'm not mad at that. I'm I'm not mad at that at all. Because, yeah, that's the thing. So, Thor, and with Corona happening, this decade is going to be interesting to see if he can get out of the, the big budget stuff in time. But he's one that I think should win one. Shit, my guy, Denis Villeneuve. I think he's going to win one in the next decade. Yeah, I have Denny, Denny Villeneuve on the list as well. I mean, he he's definitely a big-time director that's going to deserve one. Another director I have on here is Christopher Nolan. Mm, Nolan hasn't you know, won one yet. Mm-mm. He has not won one yet. Tenet could be the one because in a really weird year with coronavirus. Tenet could be. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, because there's not a lot of stuff. on. Okay, what other directors do you have? Uh, Greta Gerwig. Ah, I think yeah, I think she's gonna get one for sure. Been so close for so long, it, she'll 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 find one. Yeah, no, they're they're definitely gonna. Uh, she's definitely gonna get one. Any other filmmakers you got? That's really it for the directors. I feel like there's some other names that you can throw out, but you just never know and who and who might come out of nowhere. I mean, shit, Tarantino should, but he he's won one, huh? 
No, he hasn't won one, but I don't think he's going to win one anytime soon, especially because this is supposed to be his last film. True. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I wish Fincher would win one, but I don't know if Fincher's putting out any films anytime soon. Yeah, no, I like the ones we've chosen. Yeah. I don't think Spike Lee's winning one this decade. Yeah, so we shall see. All right, yeah, word. All right, let's get to the actors. Yeah, um, actors, um, a name that you might like that's in this Batman movie, Paul Dano. Ooh, okay. All right. That's an interesting and, one. You know, I have it doesn't Batman necessarily himself. mean that I think that he, he could be like the best actor winner, but I mean, we're talking like just an Oscar winner for best supporting or something supporting, like that. Yeah, I feel like sure. he could be in there. I think Batman himself could get one this decade. I have him in there. Robert Pattinson. He's on my list. I mean, I think Batman could be a stepping stone for him. <laughs> yes, 100%. And I mean, it, it gets people going back to watching all those other stuff, like what, The Lighthouse and like, Good Time. Good Time. And, yeah, um, that movie was crazy. The other movie where he, he was in space. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. I got, space. All right. I'll, I'll give him one. I got Adam Driver winning one next decade. Yeah, I got that too. Okay. Um, okay. We'll do another Star Wars person. I think that depending on his choices and roles, John Boyega could either be the next big blockbuster star or drama or could could jump into the dramas. I like that. I like that. Let me toss it out to the ladies. I got uh, Amy Adams winning one this decade. Yeah. Amy Adams has been nominated so many times. We would have thought that she already won one. And uh, the, the person that I'm, adding into this is someone who's also been nominated before and I think will eventually get there is Saoirse Ronan. Mm, she's definitely going to get one. Definitely going to get one. All right. I'm trying to, Oh, my girl already won one. I was going to say her, but yeah, she already won one. Okay. Well then I'm going to say uh Sterling K Brown. I think he's going to get one. He's won a bunch of Emmys and he's been in television a lot. Let's see if he can transition to movies this decade. I think Sterling K Brown is an amazing actor and I, I could see him winning an Academy award in this upcoming decade, the one you know, right now. I think that one actor with the lineage is going to have his opportunity to break out in this decade, and it's JDW, John David Washington. Ooh, you know, okay. He, he's I like that. definitely new and up and coming, but you know this is a, just the beginning of the decade, and he's already going to be in maybe one of the biggest films of the year. Yeah. And Black Clan, and if anyone's watched Black Klansman, they know that the dude can act. So, it, he's got all all the tools to be an Oscar winning actor. I got in the a, next ten years. I got a deep cut that I think is, of course, I could say Timothy Chalamet or Jake Gyllenhaal because I believe they both will win one. But my hot take: Shia LaBeouf wins one this decade. It's not impossible. He, he's definitely, but he's picking the right roles now. Now that I think he's in more control of like his he's life. He's getting and, better, man. He's doing his I thing. I mean, because like Peter Brenner Falcon is a, is a low key smash. Yep. Um, and, Honey Boy was pretty you know, good. Honey Boy, and uh, I mean, he did McEnroe. I mean, he's he's done all sorts of stuff in the past few years. So, I mean, he's definitely on the up and up. Um, I think Tom Hardy is someone who could be in the conversation. Oh yeah. Depending. I mean, I haven't seen Capone yet, but, you know, I think that it could open him up to a door of possibilities for being in some of the movies that are, are kind of like that. I mean, going back to when he was even in The Revenant, I mean, I thought that he was a better part of that movie than Leo. Ooh, okay, real. All right, I also got, I got, uh, I got, oh, man, oh, man. I want to say Donald, but I think Daniel Kaluuya will win one before him. yeah. I, yeah, think, I, think I think Daniel Kaluuya could win one this decade, but I also got Jonah Hill who didn't win this decade because we see him win. directing well with mid nineties. So a film that me and you both love, we see his acting has gotten better. I just, I just think Jonah Hill is going to be getting to that artistic, his artistic peak soon, soon come. Yeah. I mean, that's about it for me, but yeah, I think that those are all pretty pos- possible. I got Ryan Gosling as well. Yeah. I had him on there. Um, I don't think Will Smith's getting one. I don't no. think Matt Damon's probably going to get one. I don't think Robert Downey Jr. is going to get one. I do think Michelle Williams should get one this decade. Edward Norton's not getting one. I don't see that happening. Um, Nick Cage, maybe, for Tiger Nick King. Nick Cage? he get an Emmy. Are you joking? You got you climbing. I'm joking. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield. I think he has a shot to get up there that more so maybe – I don't – 
I think if he could do it, I, just don't, I, I don't know. It just depends on the film because like the films that he's a part of are great films, but they're usually too, too different for the, like the Academy standards. Like sorry to bother you is a great film, but like, I don't think the Academy would be like horse people. Yeah. <laughs> the horse people show was nuts. I'm just saying, look, he's Stanfield's great actor. I could see him getting one I'm trying to see some other. I don't think Anna de Armas is getting one. If she does, it'll be by happenstance. You think she's gonna get one? She probably could. You think? I mean, like she did a good Knives Out and in Blade Runner. I mean, she's not. She comes to play True. in the big movies. She does. No, you're right. You make a good point. Damn. Okay. Maybe I'm sleeping on Anna Armas. Maybe I should give her a little more, a little more credit. But yeah, I guess yeah. That's all I got. All right. Well, let's get into talking about Avatar. All right, would you are right, so one through four? One through the first four. two directed by Mr. David Filoni. Didn't know that. You shocked me on that. The first one, I didn't realize I didn't realize how kind of semi-long these episodes are. But they, they feel long sometimes, but they feel short sometimes. And it it's like they're short, man. They are. But I forgot how much I love this series, how much different they are in book one than there are in book three. Cause I feel like my last memory of them is them from book three, but yeah, book- like it, it, it's moving fast, but also slow. It's like, I remember these first four really fondly, but I didn't remember them being all clustered in the beginning. Yeah. Super, like, super clustered. So like, you know, I felt like some th- of this was more spread out. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought there might've been more filler than any, cause I didn't think we were getting, we would get to the Kiyoshi warriors by episode four. No, neither did I. Like that's what I've come to find, and we'll get to that in the later episodes, I, I guess. But after four, it really just kind of becomes sometimes relevant, sometimes why are they making another stop? Yeah, but, fast travel. They're just going here, they're going there, they're going everywhere. Yeah. But all right, let's go um, episode one. The boy in the iceberg. Katora and Sokka make a startling discovery while fishing a boy from a frozen iceberg, perfectly preserved and amazingly alive. Yeah, this is the episode where we get the whole backstory of, like, the history. Yep. Of, like, the whole cultures and everything. And I think that was really what kind of sucked people in, is that it was a precursor Game of Thrones, but it was similar to that whole concept of, like, warring worlds. You know, this also came out right on the cusp or right on the heels of uh, Lord of the Rings. Yep. So, you know, people were starting to think in, like, that kind of sense. And I um, I loved one thing in this first episode, like when making you understand their world, they made this joke of four times of, and I counted, they would say like, when Katara was like, oh yeah, I'm about to waterbend. And Sokka's like, stop messing with that magic. And she's like, it's not magic, it's waterbending. Aang does the same thing when he's airbending. They're like, stop that magic. It's like, no, it's not magic, you're airbending. They did that four times this episode to drill into the, and I didn't even realize that, they, but to drill into the watcher, like, this is not magic. This is this bending style, this form of martial arts that they do in this world. It's not magic. Don't call it magic. It's not that. Well, and I think like that's where the Filoni factor, I feel, blends in a little bit with his idea of Star Wars. And you can see a lot of the comparisons when you're thinking about oh, what Dave Filoni's done with Clone Wars and watching uh, what happens through through this episode um and the idea of being connected through the the elements yeah um you know the main character being a nomad monk yep uh, who 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 is who fights between the, uh pacifism and having to wanting, kill and having to kill and wanting to uh clear the world of evil like it, it has a lot of jedi vibes a lot of um him running from Luke his skywalker destiny. vibes yeah because he doesn't want to he wants to be a kid he doesn't want to be the avatar him running from his destiny we also see a lot of shit luke skywalker vibes with, with uh katar and soka leaving home for the first time going on this big grand adventure their destinies are interlinked with this avatars you must go like some han solo stuff so i mean we see that also, something that I didn't realize was how much Zuko was a shit. But it, like, like I said, the last time I saw these characters were book three. We, we was all groovy. 
And I didn't realize how much Uncle Iroh's trying to drill in his head, bro, it's not that serious. And then when you get to season two and you see the, the freaking switch and the, the one of the biggest betrayals ever, you're like, damn, bro, Uncle Iroh, all he was trying to do was help you this whole time. And they start that off in episode one, like, Uncle Iroh, the good uncle. Like, right after, like, his first line is just him being like, oh, it's probably just the celestial lights. Like, it's, Let it it's go, nothing. Zuko. Like, no one's seen the Avatar. Like, just come have a he nice honestly, tea. He honestly is trying to just get him away from home and just to go live his life somewhere else and just let this Avatar shit go. Like, fuck your dad, bro. Yeah, I mean, it was all, it was just a different sort of training. And, like, it's kind of was interesting how early, even early on they blurred the line of like really bad villain. Yeah. Like you knew that he was the villain and you knew that you didn't want Aang to be caught by him, but, but you were also fascinated with his come up. Cause like in episode three, you know, he, he gets to uh, the commander of the fire army and he ends up having to duel him. And that's another whole good bit with uncle Iroh and him trying to, uh, you also realize how much Uncle Iroh has esteemed throughout the Fire Nation, which, you know, dwells a lot of interest, but he's trying to make him better than the current leadership. Yeah. Like, I think Uncle Iroh kind of has this idea that Zuko could be better than his brother. And his father. And his father. So, and his, his, Oh, you mean his sister. It could be better than his sister and his father. Well, I just think a be- better in general, like a better Fire Lord, a different Fire Lord. Facts, yeah. And he's trying to, and the, and you, and re- he's trying to do that really early on. He's trying to teach him new lessons, and like that just makes you like really intrigued on into their arc through the entire time. Early on, we get the Katara and Aang are destined for each other vibes. Early yeah. on. Like, like right one. off the bat, no, she, like, cho- she, she was about to choose him over her family. I was like, Jesus! <laughs> but like, she opens up the thing, and like, he's, and then like, when they're going back to the village, he's like staring at her and shit. It's just like, oh, oh my god, dude, yeah. <laughs> it starts already, but don't get it fooled. Ang don't get it till book five. Uh, the K- Katara and Soka run through them. <laughs> they run through men and women like it's nobody's business. Katar goes through Jet, through Zuko himself, through uh. There's another homie she goes through. I saw the picture on the internet. There's a few homies. There's a bunch of homies. Two Earth Kingdom homies. Yeah, and then Soka with the Moon Girl with the Kyoshi Warrior. He got another one too. I'm uh, a fire chick. Yeah. Exactly. They the, those little waterbender girl, the little waterbender tribe homies. They run through them. Poor little Ang just has to sit through it all, man. Sucks. But then, okay, so first two episodes are basically Ang escaping the ice and getting Katara and, and uh, learning that he's the avatar. Yeah, you know, people learning that he's the avatar. Getting Sokka to leave out us seeing the different bendings, like seeing how fi- the fire bending is so different from the water bending and the earth and the air bending. We learn the backstory that there hasn't been a waterbender in that tribe for so long. For some reason, I thought Zuko killed the grandmother in these episodes. Or does that happen later? I don't think it happens. The grandmother always the, lives? The, the mother was the one who's dead. Oh, so I think yeah. that's always the driving force. Okay, okay, okay. Well, then, yeah, and then so they, they leave the water temple, and they're like, all right, we, we got to go to the North Pole to find a bender, a waterbender to teach Aang and Katara. But first, we got to stop at the Southern Air Temple, because Aang doesn't believe the airbenders are wiped out because he made a selfish decision, a childish decision, because he didn't feel like he was ready to be the Avatar brother. You got all your people destroyed. He was super sad. Yeah, that was a really serious episode, and it really kind of gives him the the Punisher backstory of they killed all my people. But, I mean, it's more of a... It's another Star Wars-ish Jedi lesson where you don't overcome yourself with revenge. You try and seek the wisdom to be better and find out what you learn from, from this instance. And he, he was trying to be more in touch with the Avatar connection that they had tried to instill in him back in those days. And he realizes now more the severity of what he, he needs did. to do. Yeah, it's serious, man. He he went away for 100 years. The world's in turmoil and chaos and then episode four we meet the kiyoshi warriors we see soka's future gf future lady friend 
And uh, this is the beginning of Soka's training because Soka, by the end of this, becomes a fucking masterful warrior. Sokka becomes one of the strong, like, swordsmen. And if you remember later, they talk about, like, the White Lotus group where you have a master earthbender, you have a master firebender, you have a master waterbender, you have a master swordsman. Sokka's going down this path of the master swordsman, and this is the start of it. Yeah, I mean, he kind of uh, gets humbled real early on. Um, and he He's too cocky. Of, he grows not only with his skills, but also with the no- knowledge of respect for anyone. Yep. And that makes him um, a better tactician. And it does. He he does, he learns not not to underestimate his opponents. Facts, facts. And I think that's all the all in episode 4 was that really and then Aang seeing like yo bro, the, I got to I'm getting people in danger. I'm I'm realizing this is severe. We see some of Katara's jealousy. Some of Aang. the dope some of the dopest scenes though of these four episodes, one of them in, C- in uh, episode four, where he jumps off of Appa into the water to get the fit to wrangle the fish or whatever. Yeah, the little that snake was dope. thing. I was like, this dude just jumped off. It's flying bison. Yeah, no, I love this- how Appa just doesn't move. He's just like, oh, okay, he's just gonna jump off now. Appa was being a douche in the first couple of episodes. The homie didn't want to fly. But I thought he was just gaining his bearings, getting his muscles. He was right. tired. <laughs> He's been in ice for so long, for a hundred years. Appa's an animal. Aang could just bounce up, but Appa had to get his stuff together. But I'm glad we're reviewing this, man. We got a long journey to get to book three. These first four episodes were solid. Can't you know, like we're gonna do four a week, just little quick reviews, and this was dope. Let's jump to I'm sure everyone. I'm sure everyone who's been watching it has already watched it all. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah, no, because you're speeding through it. Yeah, I, I, it's so quick that you can watch it when you're doing other things on your phone. True. No, yeah. You're absolutely right. All right, let's jump to Last Dance. Were these the worst episodes of the... Probably so. It just felt so short. It just was like, all right, the closer. Felt like we I were just it. like closing it up, yeah. I like the Reggie Miller stuff. The Reggie Miller stuff early on was good with like what Black Jesus. Yeah, I call him Black Jesus, Black Cat, or MJ. I, I've never called him Michael Jordan ever since. It, it was like that. That was so funny, man. And Reggie was like, like "I'm the only competitor." Like, and Michael said it. Michael's like, "The toughest competition I ever had was either the Pistons or Reggie Miller and these Pacers." And it just shows, like, if Reggie Miller was in a different era, he could have been a. If he was in this era, Reggie Miller would have been great. Well, it also goes to show, like, the buildup of these teams and people, like, you know, this obsession that the, that they had early on when LeBron was winning titles that, like, you couldn't, you, you, you did, it wasn't res- respectable to win without, like, a big three. You had, like, if LeBron's going to win, he's got to do it, like, with nobody. But, like, why? Like, even the teams that weren't winning, like, this Reggie Miller team had so many stars on it. Yeah. It had Reggie, Mark Jackson, Smiths. The, the, the Davis Mullen. brothers, Chris. Oh uh, yeah, uh, Mullen's the one you forget about. Chris Mullen, the sniper, and Jalen Rose coming off the Fab Five before he turns trash. Yeah, these I mean, are the good I, that Jaylen was a solid Rose team, years. man. Yeah, J- no, Larry Bird was the coach. I know Mike was happy to be Larry Bird's ass. Oh, that was a funny little clip where like he comes in to congratulate him, and he's like, and Larry Bird's like, "You bitch," <laughs> and then like. <laughs> Michael's like, now you got some time to work in that golf game. <laughs> it's awesome because they're like real life friends. That was a good moment. Um, another moment that they we went into Steve Kerr backstory, learned about his father. I didn't know that him, him and MJ shared that relationship. That was that was good to see. Well, and uh, it just was really touching, man. You see Steve Kerr talking about it, starting to cry, and you feel the emotion behind it. Really sad. And then when he makes that shot, it's like, all right, good for you, Steve Kerr. What else well, happened I think, this? like, what's interesting with the Steve Kerr stuff is you really start to see, like, how he's developed into the Steve Kerr we know today, today as a yeah. great, great coach in the NBA. Like, you He can has see some where, feel in him, too, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can see how much respect he had for a lot of the things that Phil did that were maybe unorthodox and interesting and how he all soaked it up. Yep, And, you know, it's definitely just one of those disciples of Phil kind of thing where, you know, we see it in every sort of uh, sport that some of the great coaches, the people that they learn or, the, you know, learn from them are able to take it on and become the next time. I mean, shit, look at Belichick and, uh, and uh, Saban. 
They're they're from the same coaching tree, and like they just shows man. And it I think also it helps Curry the fact that he was played with MJ, so he understands how a superstar kid should be, and like he knows how that that. And then he was with Scotty. He sees Scott, and the crazy thing is, bro, I did not know Scotty was doing all this half ass shit that he was doing, bro. Scotty was. I lost some respect for Scotty in this. The fact that he sat down and didn't play because he didn't want Tony Kukoc to take the shot. And then he's always getting hurt. Like, Scotty should have definitely got traded. MJ should have got him a young guard. And then it's game over. Or him and Phil go to L.A. with Shaq Diesel and win yeah. seven. I don't know. Dude, you know, the one thing I also came to came to find that I'm going to see things differently now is I don't know if I can call it the flu game now. I mean, it's not the flu. Oh, it's hangover. We're in the flu. <laughs> this isn't even a hangover dude it's uh, whatever the food poisoning thing unless you're you're on you subscribe to the conspiracy of he was just drinking he was just drink bro i i do subscribe to that conspiracy i don't think he was food poisoned. it was just he was just out drunk that night hung over it's the hangover game you don't get like that i'm just saying bro i'm just saying it was the hang i feel it I felt that vibe from the from the documentary. I felt that vibe from MJ. I also like the thing where it was at the end of the last dance. They're throwing shots at Jerry Krause in the in the walk off speeches after they won it. And then I thought it was cool they did that little ceremony where they burned like their uh, their thoughts of the team. It was like, all right, we'll live anew now. F Krause. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's kind of unprecedented the way that things ended with them being a, a two-time three-peater and then after they do the second three-peat they all just gone gone because Krauss wanted to rebuild and be like red arbach who have a multiple dynasties and look who's wrong they're still rebuilding chicago still ain't been right they, they're not gonna get right either no not anytime long, soon not anytime soon at all oh man anything else you got on because like i said this these episodes are probably the the least exciting because it was just the win. It was the end. Yeah. Um, it, it was the end in both respects. They really didn't do too much about the 97 season, but I guess maybe there weren't any storylines. I thought it was um, funny so- that Dennis Rodman had Carmen Electra kiss the, uh, kiss the trophy. And then when Michael was pouring the champagne out, he was like, this guy don't come out. I like that. Dennis. <laughs> he was just happy, man. He won the show. He's like, Dennis did his thing. Cause Dennis was on wrestling with Hulk Hogan missing practice during the NBA finals. Dude, the dude's oh, wild. Hulk Hogan was like, you don't have to go to practice Dennis. <laughs> he's like, there's, there are things that you can miss practice for. Exactly. He was, he's like, we're trying to get the belt. I'm Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I might have been doing a Macho Man Randy Savage. I don't know. Both of those are the same for me. That stuff's wild, though. It's just like <laughs> the people that were uh, incorporated with that. And then Rodman comes in the next game and just dominates. Dominates. But then you saw when they won. Was that when they beat Reggie or when they beat Utah? That Leo just comes in. Leo's like, oh, yeah, bro, this was awesome. It was after oh, yeah, they beat Utah. It was after they beat Utah after Michael dropped that 45 the last game. He was like, this was amazing. And Michael's like, I saw your last movie. That was amazing, brother. He's like, nah, what you did was a work of art. Young Leo just had the Bulls game. Yeah, dude. They was uh, Mike was like, "Yeah, we just saw your movie or whatever," and they they did the one, uh, you know, all for one and one for oh, all. Oh yeah, the mask the with game. The, the man with the iron mask. Yes. And That's I was like, the, "Yeah," and I thought it was funny that they made that mention and then showed the receipts. You know, like they they actually did show the scene where they did all for one and one for all in the in thing, and then he meets Leo and is like, hey, we did that from your movie, bro. He wasn't just blowing smoke up Leo's ass. They really did it. Yeah, I wonder if they're still friends. <laughs> I wonder. I, I bet Leo watched this and was like, damn, he really did it. <laughs> That's what's up. No, nah, that was awesome. I'm trying to think of anything else. Does this make Phil Jackson, because people always like to give him credit for Lakers and Bulls and everything, but we see maybe he kind of was a little dick. And they always blame, like, because we see how he kind of messed up your franchise with the Knicks. Is Phil a little to blame with Jerry Krause? That's kind of what I watched the Skip Bayless thing. And he was like, I blame Krause and Phil Jackson and Jerry Ronsdorf. Maybe Phil is a, a little, a little shyster. I mean, I, I feel like there's probably just a lot of egos everywhere. But there shouldn't have been, because it should have just been Mike and, Mike and Scotty's ego. They're the ones who are doing all this shit. Yeah, I mean, that's just, a lot of people who, who 
have the true power or whatever. But who, I mean, are look, who are carrying all the money, throwing all the money around. Phil's triangle offense really did change Mike because we saw him with Doug Collins. That shit didn't work. But also, I blame Jerry Reinsdorf, bro. You're the owner. Make a decision. You just won six championships. You're telling me as a competitor, you don't want to try for seven? You're a billionaire, bro. You're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to let Jerry Krause handle it. Fuck Jerry Krause. This is your damn team. They were like, we got all the success right now. Let's just like keep our money and run. Cheap skates. Because they weren't trying to pay Scotty. Like oh. even Michael acknowledged that that was like the one thing that they were unsure about. Like see, they would they, have to do, like they would have to do some things to get Scotty on board. But I don't think they should have brought Scotty back. Trade Scotty, sign and trade. Try to get a young boy like Grant Hill, or try to get one of them young boys on the squad. Vince Carter, make a sign and trade for somebody, and let's see what's up. Let's run it back with a young boy. Get a young bull in there with Mike. In we'll never know. And I think it was kind of a gut shot for everyone for him to have said, yeah, man, I look back on it and I wish like I would have kept playing. He said it's madness. He said he still feels it to this day, but you could tell the difference between him and Kobe. Kobe went to retirement with a sense of he found happiness in retirement. It, you could tell I, it eats Jordan up every day. Dude, he should have played somewhere else. He should have. He, he regrets it. And then the Wizards thing just looks even worse. Cause he was just doing it just to do it. Well, at that but point, but then was... Phil just betrayed him, though. Low key, why didn't Phil tell him he was going to L.A.? Phil takes one year off and then goes to L.A. to coach Kobe and Shaq. But yeah, Mike, why didn't he call up Michael and be like, "Yo, Michael, you want to play for the Lakers?" Like that's I'm fucked sure he up, have. bro. I'm sure he would have as well. That'd have yeah. been lit. But that's all I got on this. It was Solid. a good documentary. Lennon says not the best ever. Not the best ever, bro. Is it, do you think it's the best ever? No. Exactly. Not the best ever. I've seen people saying that on Twitter. It's not. The time skip problems, the fucking, and I, I saw someone said they like going back and forth. Of course you like going back and forth. But I'm talking about just the, we're in 1998, then boom, all of a sudden, 1922, boom, all of a sudden, 55, boom, boom. We just keep switching. And it's just like, no, bro, give me a little, tell me when we're about to switch. That's all. The OJ dog did it beautifully. Shit. I knew what was going on with, with Othin, uh, what, what's OJ's real name? Orthanol or... Uh, or- Orenthal, Orenthal. James Jack. Yeah. Orenthal yeah. James. Fuck it. I knew what was going on with OJ. His ass. That That's the best sports documentary. And then they, I like uh, When We Were Kings, the Muhammad Ali one. I like uh, the two Pablo Escobars. That's a good one. There's a lot of good ones out there, man. That's why I'm not going to be... I, I will say that say, like, out of the ones of the summer, like this was probably the one that's the most compelling. Like, oh, out of all the other ones, that I mean, Lance one could be could be big though. Sure, I mean, but it, it, I mean, stories that we've wanted to be told. Oh, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, thanks. we got to see the bull story. Like, I know people. There's definitely people that want to see some different stories get told. I think you know the Sosa Mark McGuire one is a good one too because that was definitely a time period. But I wish they were adding incorporating more with that because there was other people hitting home runs. In that time too, who like like Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds. But I mean, that, even more guys than that. There was that was kind of like the home renaissance. Like uh-huh. everyone was in home runs. Ken Griffey. They might that. talk about it. Yeah, but uh, also I'm excited for the Bruce Lee one that's coming up. Move like water. I'm a big Bruce Lee fan, so that's gonna be lit too. So solid. That's all we got this week, though. Should we? So all right. Well, yeah. So that's everything. For this week of the pod, what's going on in the network? Um, new episode of Bros Who Think, uh, the Bros Who Think podcast coming out on Thursday. Schubert will be back on there. Julian, Justin, I believe Charles is coming. I think we're gonna be doing two drafts. We're gonna be talking about some greatest of all time stuff, as well as Brooklyn and uh, Doom. We're gonna be doing best black uh, television show of all time. The most recent episode of Anime Talk is out now. You should be able to check that out on YouTube. And wherever you listen to podcasts, so be sure to check that out. Other than that, me and Chris are going to go live later in the week, probably on Thursday or Friday around. Then we'll go live on Instagram. Probably going to have to talk some Demon Slayer because the story is over. But other than that, for all information, you can find us and find all the news and updates at Bros Who Think on Twitter. So be sure to follow us. Oh, and subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, Spotify. Leave us a comment. That'd be amazing. Yes, please do all of those things and keep listening to everything that we got going on. 
definitely excited to be back on the main show this week. Um, so thanks for listening to this episode of Bros Who Binge. Next week, we're going to come at you with some more Avatar and maybe some Capone. So be, be you know be looking out for that and go out or not go out stay home and yeah, watch all these movies that are available maybe catch some of the the new stuff that's rolling in i'm gonna go watch snowpiercer so for lyndon burton my name's adam schubert have a great week everyone and keep binging uh, where you at what you want up, drank the mazel tov till I can't talk Remember how we hit it off, I hit it raw And you woke up and hit the blind till you was gone Baby, I was just sleeping, dreaming Thinking we can do this every weekend Demons under my bed, yeah She been fiending from all of that being I can tell that she mean a poppin' pussy in my text, yeah Bobby, 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 wow I can tell by the way that she stalks me She told me she like when I'm bossy And I like a motor and raunchy She a rider like snitch, so